Over the years, Closed has conducted tens of thousands of buyer interviews. In each episode of this show, we'll introduce you to one of the most popular decision drivers that make your prospects want to buy from you or not. Then we'll interview a top sales or marketing expert and show you how to master each decision driver so you can win more. Welcome to Why They Buy, Winning in B2B with your host, Trenton Romph. All right, Nate, so I wanted to set up a little bit the conversation I had with Steven Messer, the co-founder of Collective Eye. And Steven and I talked about, they have a ton of data from B2B buying transactions. And in that data, he's, he's found that buyers don't want to be sold to the same way they used to be. And he even brought up this experience of uh, car dealerships mm. and how Tesla has disrupted that model and you can, they're yeah. transparent on the website and everything. They're direct to consumer. Yeah, you don't exactly. have to go through a dealership. Totally. So, and I know you just recently bought a car, right? <laughs> yeah. So I thought maybe that'd be a, a perfect story to tie into this. And then we can talk a little bit about the data we see where, yeah, like buyers don't want to be sold to the same way, but we do see some universal truths that they're never going to like want to completely disappear. Yeah. Um, so let's start with your car story. I think it's a good one. Yeah. I'm not like a big car guy. Yeah. And so I always feel like I have to do a lot of education before I go buy a car. Yeah. So I did a lot of research, had a pretty good idea of what type of car uh, my wife and I wanted to buy when we first got married. And we, um, we went out to this dealership and they brought us in and they sat us down and they asked for my driver's license. And I, I had never really bought a car on my own before. So I was right. like, oh, okay. You know, maybe <laughs> they need to take a copy so I can go on test drives. Like, yeah, I get totally. it. And uh, then they, they took me out to the lot and I sat in a couple of different cars and just nothing they had on the lot was really like, Didn't nothing said buy me. Yeah. yeah, nothing said buy me. <laughs> nothing exciting. So after checking out a couple of cars, we're like, oh, you know, we're going to go look at a couple other places. We're still kind of investigating. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, we'll come back into the office and, and we'll get you your driver's license back. And they sat me down and one of their sales reps started grilling me. You yeah. know, well, what is it, what is it going to take for, for <laughs> us to get you out of out the door on one of our cars today? <laughs> and I was like, well, you need to have a car that I want. And I don't really want any of your cars. Right. Well, you know, is it the price? Is it? And they started asking all these questions, trying to overcome my objections. Sure. And I could feel my heart rate increasing. Yeah. My wife you was just starting to, to yell like, at grab my hand and like <laughs> squeeze it. She was getting stressed out. And I'm like, look, guys, I appreciate what you're trying to do here, but yeah. could you please just give me my driver's license back? <laughs> and they're like, well, well, you know, why don't we pull out the manager really quick? Why don't you talk to him? And I'm like, I don't want to talk to your manager. I just want, I want to leave. Right. And then the manager comes out and he's like, what's it going to take for me to get you out the door on one of my cars today? And he, he literally like, used the line, the classic the like, same, cliche line. Same line. Yeah. And I'm like, this is so scripted. It's so high right. pressure. And I'm like, look, man, I appreciate what you're trying to do here. Once again, can I just have my license back? I want to go shop elsewhere. I don't yeah. feel really good right now sure. about what you're doing. And it was just high pressure, high pressure. Finally, they caved and gave me my license back. Right. We literally drove across the street and this dude comes out and he's an older guy. He's probably been doing this for like 30 years. Right. He's got his hands in his pockets. What are you looking for today? Oh, we're looking for a hatchback. Kind of described mm -hmm. the makes and models we were interested in. And he's like, well, we got two or three on the lot. Why don't we go for a drive? I was like, okay, did two test drives got back and he said did any is there one that stood out to you and i'm like yeah. well i really love driving this one he's like well ironically it's been on the lot for a while and we really would like to move it so yeah. here's where we'll come down to and uh, we can give you this and this and if you walk out the door today we'd love to have get you in this car if you really like it cool. i looked at my wife and she's like i liked it and i'm like i liked it and we bought yeah and to me it was a testament to this this idea that like it, it's it's more important for a, a seller 
to meet the buyer where they're at mm-hmm. than it is to force the buyer to meet you where you're at to go through yeah, the process sure. that you want to go through. Do you think this car, the second one at least, sounded like he was more laid back, probably was just a little bit more like wanting you to have a good experience. Do you, do you feel like if he didn't have a car he would have liked like the first dealership happened? Do you feel like his reaction would have been the same? He would have let me walk. Yeah, he would have. He would have been like, "Well, if you don't have what you what you need, you know, I can give you a call if something comes exactly, in." Exactly right. But he wasn't trying to force me into, into a some, product yeah. that I wasn't totally willing to buy yeah. or interested in. That's exactly kind of the stuff Stephen talked about. And, and in our data, like I've looked a lot at our win loss data from the programs we're doing with companies. And I've talked to our consultants, and there's certain decision drivers we have, like the reasons people buy or they don't buy, that I feel like. Um, are never going to change. They're never going to go away. And there's all this talk out there right now about like buyers are changing. They don't, they want more transparency. They want like the pricing on the website and all of that. And it's fine. Like I don't, I'm not opposed to any of that, but I don't want people to overcorrect so much that they lose. Like, I think what are kind of universal truths. And some of those decision drivers are like trust and professionalism. And that can be trust from the sales rep building that trust with you. But if your product led growth or you don't actually have like a strong sales person in the process like you need to build that trust from your brand reputation or your marketing and i've seen companies do some weird stuff on the marketing side where they sometimes like don't tell the full truth in product comparison pages and i talked to steven about that um, where they kill that trust right and they kill that reputation so i think that's one like trust and professionalism this car dealer the first one like immediately eroded that trust when they wouldn't even hand you your driver's license yeah, back yeah it's like that's my driver's license yeah. and they're like holding on to it um and then the other one i think is empathy and understanding so we see a lot of cases where sometimes the, the deal still gets won um, but we see a negative impact from a salesperson not asking really good questions not listening to the buyer. And then even when they uh, do that, sometimes they don't communicate back to the buyer in a way where the buyer realizes immediately, like, man, this person gets me and they understand my world and they're actually going to help me solve this problem. So if they don't ever feel that empathy and understanding in your sales process, whatever that looks like, uh, I think they're going to be less inclined to buy from you, right? And so I just wanted to dive a little bit deep into those uh, reasons for wins and losses happening that I think are going to always be true. Like, I don't think you're ever going to have a case where uh, distrust from a buyer is a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, you're always going to need to be a trusted brand. Um, And Stephen talks a little bit about that in this episode. So we'll kick it over to uh, my conversation with Stephen. Steven, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to riff on this topic with you um, and talk about how salespeople either do or do not build trust and professionalism in the process and kind of wreck the buying experience, right? And I know you've got a lot to talk about where uh, sellers want to be sold to and or buyers, excuse me, want to be sold to in a specific way, even more so nowadays. So I'm excited to talk with you. Um, before we begin, though, let's, uh, you, I know you're the co-founder of Collective Eye. Can you just help our listeners understand a little bit more context about Collective Eye so they have you know, the right frame of mind here? Yeah, no, happy to do it. And Trent, thank you for having me here today. Yeah. And I couldn't imagine a better person to talk to this subject because of what Close does and, and what you guys have accomplished. Um, and frankly, the, the, I would say that the two of us are driving towards this idea of agile 
selling where, you know, it's a much different experience where the customer's truly at the center. And I'm not talking about like playbooks where we rename stages <laughs> to look like yeah. they're buyer centric, but they're, so sure. I, I love the opportunity that we have together because look, I, I've been a part of my whole life. I've been a part of these industries where the disruption came and everything just got way better, but it was sort of like this culmination of these little changes. And all of a sudden people woke up one day and they're like, wait a second, nothing I used to do worked. Right. And, and, and you could see these people go through the same dilemma. You have one group of people that are like, let's go back to basics. And that's like, to me, like Walmart saying, we got to get better greeters at our store because <laughs> Amazon's eating our lunch, yeah, right. which is always the wrong thing to do. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, or, or there's a group that are like, wait a second, something's changed and I just need to embrace it. And those ones become dominant. So for example, like we started a company called LinkShare, um, which for those of you who know affiliate marketing, you will automatically go, oh my God, we, had, we ended up with 98% of the market. But, yeah. but that was like virtual selling for B2C companies, Dell and Disney and all these guys. And we came out and completely revolutionized the way people thought you marketed and sold products online. And today you've got things like Honey, you've got things like Buy Now, Pay Later. Mm -hmm. You've got basically coupon sites and um, you, you name them all, Ebates, these things that are so permeated our life. But at the time, I want you to remember, that's an example of when people said, no, 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 that's not how it's done. Sure. And I still remember when people said things like nobody would buy a car, nobody buy shoes, nobody buy uh, diamonds, nobody buys yeah. on the internet. Um, today, uh, the idea of going to a store or a mall to buy these things <laughs> right. is insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, at the time, it was considered to be the opposite. Sure. And so and I've had lots of those experiences. I, the nice part is we've had about $5 billion worth of exits. And, uh, and it's all based on this premise of the world is changing, yet the existing paradigm right. isn't recognizing that it's changing. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's a very good kickoff to what we need to talk about today is how is it changing? Like, what is it that buyers are actually looking for that's changing, that's different? And, and what do sellers need to do? Um, so let's just kick it off. Like, why don't you talk to me a little bit really quickly about what are some of the quickest ways that you've seen um, that sellers can gain trust really quickly with a buyer and what are some ways they've done in the past to just destroy it. And I've got one story about that. That's really cool. So look, let's, let's first say that everything I'm saying is not an opinion. I use data to back up everything. Love that. Collective Eye today tracks about 5% of the globe's B2B economy. Right. There's a lot of data behind this. Yeah. The other thing is when I say some of this stuff, a lot of your audience is going to go, no, that doesn't feel right. Sure. And I think that's right if you've been away from sales for the last four or five years. I, I would argue sales has been changing for a while, mm -hmm. but a lot of the ways that we used to sell are turning off buyers in ways that we just never dreamed of. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But what, what would I say? I would say this idea that the funnel, this old sales mentality, you start off at the top and you work your way down. Yeah. I think that gets people automatically in the wrong mindset. Yeah, me too. Qualification. What do we talk about when we talk about quality? Do they have money? Mm -hmm. Like it's banned, right? Yeah, exactly. I know of no sales organization that spends the entire time really digging in on that call about what is actually the problem and what are they talking about? Yeah. That's Can I give an true. example? Yeah, I'd love an example. Even in my own industry, and we have a lot, Collective Eye does a lot of different things, but one of the things we do is we've completely automated forecasting. I know salespeople will be upset the, the idea that they have to meet, they, they no longer have to go every Friday make up the, what deals are going to close, have the manager adjust it up or down. I'm sure they're going to miss that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like 
that insanity. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, I, as, I, as I always say, there's only two people I know in the world who poll to predict the future. Right. That's salespeople and economists, and they both have the accuracy rate. Uh, about the same, which is miserable. Sure. Um, uh, but let's just say that. But but I'll give you an example. When, when people call us up and they say, look, I'm interested in forecasting. It, you could easily say, ooh, trigger word. I sell forecasting. Right. Let me tell you all about collectivized forecasting. And you know what's important? No. What does that mean? I can tell you this. For some people, you know what a forecast is? It's a way to get contacts into CRM for their ABM strategy. Right. Why? Well, meeting of the forecast, if I'm a medic or a medpick shop, I need to make sure you're actually speaking to these people. And if they're not in CRM, of course, it doesn't exist, which, of course, is insanity. Yeah. I've seen it where people say it's about making accountability happen, which, of course, is never is only true if you hold them accountable and nobody ever does. Right. Right. All, yeah. all you have to do is have your number one seller miss their, their, their prediction, and it's okay for him, which sure. means you're not holding people accountable. Yeah. I've seen it where it's about the number for the board. I've seen it where it's about uh, a regional number. I've seen it every which way you can imagine. So it's the idea that I actually care about solving your problem. So it's not about me hearing a trigger word and saying, let me, let me tell you how I can solve it. Right. Customers expect you to actually understand them. Yeah. And that means you better be able to ask a lot of good questions. Right. And it, almost to the point now where they're like, understand me, but understand my problem better than I ever could. Because uh, I need and you to show solve me, it for you've, me. You've solved it, brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, cause like, I need you to be able to explain it back to me <laughs> and show it to me, which I, I, I think you're, you're dead on, which is yeah. people don't think it's okay to say, I'm looking for a forecasting tool or right. uh, a, a product that captures activity or like that's not enough. Sure. I want you to help me understand my own problem. Yeah. So I can understand why you actually can help me solve it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and speaking about, about focusing in that way of talking to the buyer in a way that's solving their problem and focusing in specifically there. I have this one story about a, a it's a really cool story from our data about how a salesperson just destroyed trust between him and the buyer. So there was this buyer buying from two separate companies and he let both sellers know it was a competitive deal. So both sellers went into the demos knowing like, oh, I've got this competitor to go up against. And the first salesperson tailored the entire demo to like disparaging the competitor and <laughs> kind of knocking them. Like the entire demo was like shortcomings of the competitor, the whole thing. Right. And then the second seller came in and focused the entire thing on his really solid discovery of the customer's problem, the buyer's problem, and didn't really talk that much about the competitor. It was like, here's how we solve your problem. Here's how we're going to help you here. Did a really thorough demo, but then he did something like extra, like at the very end, he pulled up the competitor's website and on their website, they have this product feature comparison, like chart that everybody does sometimes and pulled that up and said, okay, the competitor says they do all these things and they're saying we do like none of these things. But based on what you saw on the demo today, do you feel like this page is an honest representation of our company? And the seller was like, or the buyer was like, well, of course not. Like, absolutely not. Like, you just showed me all of these things they say you're missing. You literally just showed them in the demo and they absolutely have them. And the the buyer told us in one of these interviews, like, I couldn't go back to the first seller with any kind of level of trust at all. Like, I literally just felt like they lied to me about all these different features and all these shortcomings of the competitor. Um, I I thought that was an amazing example of how 
sellers erode trust super quick and they they think they're being like you know uh smart about attacking the competitor or like showing their feature set the best way by showing all these shortcomings but like you said the second seller was literally just focused in so dialed in on the buyer's problem and how to solve it and then at the end kind of like had this you know really cool way of showing there's just no trust to be had uh, so I think that's the key. Like you literally have to focus in on the buyer, understand them better than they understand themselves. And a lot of times, because many times you're challenging their idea set too, you're t teaching them a new way of doing things, right? Like, yeah, I want a forecasting tool, but you're like, no, actually you want something that does this and solves your forecasting problem, but it's not just a forecasting tool in the way you think about it, right? I said, I think that's Look, key. I'll say this. I think what, what you guys at Close do well and what Collectivite does well is, we're, we're trying to get sellers out of their, this sort of like funnel mentality mm -hmm. where if I do eight contacts or eight touch points, <laughs> I have a 22% yeah. improvement. And when, and if I, if I do that by having a cadence tool that bombards them with personalized messaging, which is right. pretty much dear Steven, yes. usually misspelled, <laughs> um, you know, and I do that and I hit them, you know, cause I'm using, uh, you know, a, a tool that looks for, you know, buyer intent and now I'll just start bombarding them all the way. Like, I think what, what you're telling someone is I just want my deal. Yeah. And what I think the second guy did is said, look, the culture of our company is about high integrity mm -hmm. and it bothers me that someone doesn't have the same integrity, but I want to show you that I'm going to demonstrate our value and I'm going to demonstrate that not everybody feels about you is that, that, that we're going to be your trusted advisor. Yeah. Maybe other people don't care as much about that. Yeah. Cause and what, what culture matters? Yeah. Cause either the first seller was completely just dishonest and the company, cause it was a marketing page, right? The seller didn't make this page. So either the company was dishonest, utterly dishonest, or they were just kind of lacking in discipline and creating a page that they're going to keep updated. Right. So, but either way, it sends really bad signals of, I can't trust you either because you're dishonest or you're not going to hold up your end of the deal. Like you don't care enough to keep your own website up to date or anything like that. Or so, so how are you going to implement this solution correctly? Or if a problem does come up later, like customer success is probably going to fall on its face and drop the ball with me too. Um, well, Trent, can I point out something though? Cause you hit yeah. on a key point and I think it's important for your listeners. Like you what I love about you is that you, you speak the truth and you do it in a way that's not gonna judge other people, but I'm gonna judge other people because <laughs> it's okay. Go for it. There are a lot of people who are gonna say things like, who cares, I'm making my number. Yeah. Right, why does it matter? Like, so long as like, yeah, maybe you lost that one deal, but I'm still winning other deals and I have it on my website because sure. it gets people to yeah. not deal with other people. And I, I think this is the main difference between this new modern agile selling where we're trying to really re react to the customer and provide them high value and everybody else. Right. And I think the reason why I bring that up is because there's a lot of people who are going to say, it's a volume game. I'm going to win some and I'm going to lose some. Why do I care? Mm -hmm. and, and what they might be missing is there was a time when there were influencers who mattered, Forrester, Gartner, where I just had to make those people in the chart happy. Yeah. Nobody trusts them anymore. Right. Everyone knows that's all pay yes. for, for the rating. Yep, right? exactly. Then there was a time when they went to G2 crowd and they were like, oh, so long as I get people to write good things up there, I'll be okay. Except we all know this little thing called bots is all G2 crowd is. 
Sure. Right. That's just, these yeah. are all my opinions. I don't want them coming after me, but like we, in other words, nobody trusts these guys anymore. Yeah. So what, what, what your story is really about is this question of how do I trust an organization to be a trusted advisor because I need them to be able to help me make my business successful. Yeah. And I'll give it, a, I'll give a proof point. When you think about the difference between a normal sales professional and Bain and BCG, what you see is the difference between this idea of high velocity, high cadence and trusted advisor. Today, when most companies are building their sales orgs, I don't know of a single buyer who's willing to pay them the way they would pay a BCG or Bain to sell them products. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Bain and BCG and McKinsey and all these other guys get paid millions of dollars to come in to find the problem right. and then suggest them as a solution. Like you don't see Bain saying, I, I, right. I know your problem, BCG's better at it. It doesn't happen, but they're still trusted. Yeah, We're brought in and people question, hey, can you help? And I will tell you, there's a cultural change. At Collective Eye, for example, we let people see their data live before they ever buy a license. We won't let you buy a product until you see we actually can solve your problem. Yeah, We think that's a cultural thing. We also give away 90% of our licenses for free forever community product right we changed our whole business model from this idea of i just need to get you in the car today is for our floor max going to get you in the car yeah which is the historical lever let me do price let me do some special thing to get you in this car today we think it's about finding an economic model where we're all partners together but i don't know if organizations have come to that place yeah i think that's an interesting topic to to chat about is like product-led growth is kind of in that realm too, where it's, and it's kind of what you're talking about is we, we just want you to feel trusted that you can trust our solution. And then we solve your problem before you even really talk to a salesperson who may or may not present the right way. Um, so I think that's one reason that's taken off so well too is, but it's also been this huge shift of people are more comfortable just putting their credit card on the internet and all that kind of stuff. Um, look, let's, let's take that for a second. You could like I could hear people today listening to this podcast saying, "Hey, it's easy for you guys to say you're in tech, but that's not how my industry works." Yeah, sure. But you know what Ford just recently did? Mm -mm. Ford just announced that they have to get rid of their their dealership model because what they've realized is as soon as Tesla went out there and put their product pricing and made it transparent mm -hmm. and public, yeah, as soon as they let you see what you were getting and see all the reviews and see all the information. What happened is it completely changed the market. If you would look five years ago, Ford would have said, our strength is our dealer network. Today, the Ford CEO said, no, we have to get rid of our dealer network. We have to make everything transparent. What you're seeing is at every level of society, what they're expecting from their partners is so different that your local Ford dealership, where you might've bought your last car over the last 20 years, mm -hmm that that model to them is creating distrust because it took one company, Tesla, to make that, pri that pricing transparent, make it easy where you can buy it online to actually crush the entire industry. Yeah, it's like- And that just shows it's everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many different examples of that where you introduce these different layers of person to person contact. And at some point along that chain, you, usually somebody might be, not as adept at bringing that trust forward and they drop the ball and, and there if they have tons of these points in the chain right then 
somebody eventually is going to make that distrust happen. So I, I think that's a great point. Like, well, I'm just going to go direct uh, to this, this seller. Um, that's amazing. So le let me ask you, you did mention that you guys cover, you have data points on 5% of B2B transactions. I want to, I want to understand that a little bit more because, because I don't, I don't think it, it doesn't make sense to me right out of the gate. Help, help me understand that a little bit more and we can peel back, um, deeper when you said through that data, you guys are seeing like these kind of shifts and you're seeing that buyers don't want to be sold to the same way. So I, I'd love to understand that a little bit more and, and just give you a second to kind of explain maybe a couple of the points there. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, so when we started the company, one of the things we learned when we were at LinkShare, which is a community model, is that when we work together as a, as a community, we win together as a community. And when we looked at B2B, when we started Collective Eye, and Collective Eye is just short for collective intelligence. Mm -hmm. When we looked at that, what we saw was a bunch of businesses based entirely on SaaS. How do I get you to buy more licenses? So my goal is to figure out how do I start getting your usage so you buy more and more and more. And we, we looked and said, okay, that leads to a lot of this sort of Oracle-like, old school-like, I'm going to shove it down your throat. I'm going to force you to buy. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to raise your prices. We just really didn't like that. Yeah. So the model that we ended up taking that makes our business so unique is this Waze, like, you know, if you use Waze, mm -hmm. the navigation tool, yeah. where it uses the community's data to improve the navigation for everybody, but without ever disclosing anyone's confidential information. Sweet. So when our customers join Collective Eye, what they're excited is that their data is getting enriched from everybody else in the network so they can learn. And we use this very advanced kind of AI called deep learning so that it is able to really understand down to the individual buying level, how this buyer usually buys to help them understand what's happening day to day. Gotcha. And so as our network keeps getting bigger, our product keeps getting better just by virtue of more mm -hmm. and more people there. So we can see things that are changing across the globe and it's automatically reflected into that AI for everyone's individual recommendations. And so we just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger with all of our customers. And it just allows us to start understanding what's changed. And you wanna hear a few interesting things that have changed in the last love, few years? Would love it, yeah. One, there's almost no inbound anymore. Now, I know there are gonna be people who say, no, no, no. <laughs> Maybe it's because you're not using an ABM strategy. Maybe, yeah. no, 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 there's inbound, but it's a teeny percentage. Now, when you speak to leaders, they're always like, no, 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 we have a good inbound. Ask the leaders one question. If I were to ask your salespeople, how much inbound do you get? That's when you start hearing the story of there's almost no real inbound. Anymore. Sure. The other thing that's changed over the last few years, there's almost no bake-offs anymore. Almost everyone's in this time to value. How fast can we try something out? And if it doesn't work, you're out. Mm -hmm. The third thing is everyone's going to their friends to find out what they're using and if it's working and they're happy. Yeah, that one I've seen. They're not going to, they're not sure. going to other people anymore. Right. They literally go to their communities and they want to know what's working. And I think that's, that's why we look at our model as being so different, which is we get back to our community as a way of showing who we are as a company. Now, I know, I know you guys have been to some of our events. For people who haven't been, we do this event every Thursday called The Forecast where we have probably the most powerful people in the world coming 
And we provide that to all of our partners, anyone who's in our community at no cost, mm -hmm. not just for them, but for them to be able to invite their prospects and customers. Yeah, they're great. That. They are cool. I went they're, to the Reed Hoffman They're ridiculous. One. It was great. Yeah. Reed's great, right? Yeah. He, like how often do you get 90 minutes where you get to ask I know. the founder of LinkedIn, the board member of Microsoft, one of the most famous venture capitalist investors, like how often do you get the opportunity to ask any question you exactly, want? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Well, yeah, I think these lists, these points you're making are amazing. One, one that I wanted to just kind of dive into was the, uh, the community. And it goes back to this question of, um, buyers want to buy trusted solutions like period. So um, I was reading this report and talking to a Bain partner about this report they put together with Google where they did all this research about uh, buyers would go out and they'd create what they call a day one list. They're like, they would go out and usually to their community, like, hey, what tools are you guys using? Or they would already have a mindset of tools that they've used in the past. And in the first day, they would have a list of four to five solutions, right? And then they want to be a smart buyer and we all want to do our due diligence. So they would go through these long elaborate processes and have scorecards and have bake-off type things or POCs and they would take all of this time and have buying committees and everybody would weigh in with their scorecards and what they found is the majority of the time no matter what they almost always picked the one or two day one list uh, vendors even after all the due diligence and they built those day one vendor lists from their community so that that one I've seen for sure, just kind of take off um, and become the main point that really is like, you've got to be in that community talked about, or you're not going to even be on the day one list. Um, so that, that one to me is like an immediate takeaway for anyone listening that's trying to figure out how do I get in front of the buyer? How do I do go to market? Right. Like you have to figure out how to get on that day one list. Um, well, that's, that's great, Stephen. I, I'd love to dive in deeper with uh, you on your, the data you guys are, are getting into forecast is really cool. People should check that out. Definitely. I still am like amazed at the level of talent you guys have on there without a crazy, crazy budget pushed into it. So, uh, that's impressive. Um, and yeah, I, I would love to talk to you again. I know you've got a hard stop right now, so I don't want to, I want to respect your time. Um, any other last thoughts, Stephen, before we uh, sign off here? Look, I'll say this, um, for, and it's going to sound like I'm selling my book, but it's not, which is I would highly recommend that they try closed and I would highly recommend that they try collective eye just to see what they're missing. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times when people say we're buyer centric, they don't realize how seller centric they are. Yeah. And what I love about what both of us do. And the reason why I love doing this call today, um, in this podcast is I think a lot of people think they're doing things like I, it feels to me like remember the old retailers were like, I also have a website where you can buy from, which is totally different than competing against Amazon. who was like, I am all in. Right. I think until you see what your buyers are saying, until you actually get into what they're doing, it's easy to want to not have to be that close to what's going on. Yeah. But what both of us do well is we point out how much the change is happening and how much people are just hoping momentum gets them forward. Mm hmm. And I don't think that's going to last. In fact, I think it's accelerating the change. Yeah. So all those old models are helping people like you and I, we differentiate because of the value we actually provide because they just keep doubling down on yesterday. They're putting that greeter out front of Walmart saying, if you just shook hands, 
it'd be better. Right. And we're just looking at it saying that's not what makes Amazon Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's what I hope they really take the time to do. And uh, what I would say is this is thank you um, for giving cool. me the opportunity to share some of our perspectives and all of your podcasters are always welcome uh, to come to any of our events. I hope they're a part of our joint community. Yeah. Um, and all they have to do to do that is go to www.ciforecast, like collectiveiforecast.com. Awesome. And they can join. Yeah, I, I went to the Reed Hoffman one and I missed the Terry Crews one the next week. Like I was saying, I, I was like, how did you, like I've tried to book talent like that. How are you doing this every week? It's it's super, super impressive. Well, cool, Steven. Uh, we'll talk again, I'm sure in the future. Love what you guys are doing. Uh, you, anybody listening should check them out. Uh, it's really cool stuff. And uh, we'll That's leave mutual. you with that, Steven. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. If you want to learn more about how you can win more by identifying and strengthening your weakest decision drivers, check out closed.com. That's C-L-O-Z-D.com.